Well, that's true. Praise the Lord. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And I'm going to continue my series today on God never wastes a pain. How many of you have had a little bit of pain since you were saved? Anybody pain-free since you were saved? Are you alive? If you're alive, you have pain. And we're going to look at how God never wastes a pain. I want us to quote sort of the key verse we, most of us know by memory. Romans 8, 28, but God is able. Can you say it with me? But God is able to make all things work together for the good to those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. All of you who are called, raise your hand. If you're saved, you're called. If you're saved, you're called. If you're called, you're saved. 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're going to jump right into the middle of the story of David and his young years. I'm preaching today on David's dilemma. David's dilemma. 1 Samuel 16 verse 12, Samuel has visited the house of Jesse. David had, uh, there were eight sons in Jesse's house. Samuel has seen seven of them. The Lord has said no to every one of them, though they looked right, looked good, looked like leadership material. He finally said, isn't there anybody else? Is there an, another son? Oh yeah, there's another one out there in the fields herding sheep. Get him over here. So they have called David. And we jump in in verse 12. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes. That means beautiful eyes in the Hebrew. And good looking. And the Lord said to Samuel's heart, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And I want you to say with me, it did not make their day. Because little bro is being anointed the next king. Don't think they were rejoicing with him, because they weren't. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Father, we thank you for your word today. I know, Lord, that many of us in here are in struggles, are in valleys, in difficult times, in perplexing circumstances. And we need to know, Lord, that you don't even waste a pain. But the hand of sovereignty and the hand of providence is moving in ways that we cannot see. And yet, Lord, we believe it. And we thank you for it. Open our eyes through this story in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. And turn to your neighbor and tell him it's going to be good today. Perk up and listen. I love these stories in the Old Testament. And I want you to understand that for David, it all began. For David, everything began with an anointing from God. It all began with an anointing from God. And as is God's way, once He anoints you, He appoints you to a task. He does not anoint you, but what He's got an appointing for a task. He anoints you for a task. The anointing, then comes the appointing. And He often gets you to the task by creating a need for what you have. When God anoints you, He gives you something that other people need. And I want you to understand today, church, that every one of you have been anointed by God. Simon Peter in his epistle wrote about every believer has a gift. Every believer has at least a singular gift from God. 
And it comes with the infilling of the Holy Spirit, which is the New Testament anointing. The infilling of the Holy Spirit is the New Testament anointing. And with that anointing, with that gift comes an appointing. God gives you something that other people need. Every one of you have a gift that somebody else needs. And David, or God often gets us to the task He has for us by creating a need for what we have. I have never personally sought out ministry. Not ever. I've never knocked on doors to get into ministry. I've never tried to make something happen. God called me and then He always created a need for my particular gift and I always walked into the created need and met the need. And that's the way that God works. If you'll read the story, David was a worshiper with an anointing that repelled demons. That was one of his many gifts. He would play the harp and his anointing for music would repel demons. In that way, he's a type of Christ because Jesus repelled demons. The gift that was cultivated in the shadows when nobody was looking, when he was out there under the stars, sleeping in the fields, playing songs to God, writing psalms, that gift that had been in the shadows now came to light because Saul is being troubled by a demon. And God is creating a need for David's gift. The Bible says that Saul became so troubled, he said to one of his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing. He's a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person. And the Lord, most of all, the Lord is with him. Somebody is watching you while you're in the shadows who's going to talk about you when it's time for you to come into the light. And it says they sought David out and brought him to Saul. And here is the king of Israel troubled by a devil, troubled by a demon spirit. And David pulled out the harp and he began to play. And the Bible says as he played that Saul experienced relief and deliverance from the, devil's the devil, from the demon spirit. As David ministered deliverance, it says he became Saul's armor bearer, which is exactly what God wanted. God put a call on him, anointed him, then he appointed him, then he created a need for his gift. Then when he met that need, he stepped into the very position God wanted him in. When God anoints you, listen to me, church, carefully to this. This is the way He works. He creates a need for what you have. He gets you to the task by anointing you to meet that need. And then He keeps you there by anointed relationship. He gets you there by, by meeting a need. He keeps you there by divine relationship. Because suddenly here is Saul, and he experiences a love for this young man, this teenager who could play a harp and drive out demons. Both Saul and his son, Jonathan, if you read the story, greatly loved David. That love was a divine connection because this is exactly where God wanted David. He opened the door to the very place he wanted his future king to be. What are the odds that the king would be troubled by a demon and somebody would have seen you in the shadows, in the fields, playing your harp, ministering to God? What are the odds they would mention it to the king and the king would bring you into his court? And when you played, he would experience relief to the level that he would say, you be my armor bearer. 
And then the king loved him. His son loved him. The favor of God was manifested all over David's life. When God appoints, He also gives favor. And that favor opens doors. Many of you have favor. If you're a child of God, you do have favor. You have the favor of the Son of God. And He's got an anointing on you. And because of that, there is an appointing. There is a task. There is somewhere there is a need. And you're the answer. Oh, I love the providence of God and the sovereignty of God and the moving of the hand of God. He's never checkmated by the devil. He knows exactly what he's doing. He takes our pain and out of it brings gain. The favor of God is often manifested through relationships. The purpose of God is often revealed by how you're received by others. I learned a long time ago when God is opening a door for me, it is invariably uh, confirmed by the fact that I'm received. I want to go where I'm celebrated, not tolerated. How about you? God's purposes are often revealed by giving us favor with people. They, they like us, and, and some of them can't even tell you why. They'll even say to you, I don't know why, but I like you. So here is David. He's been received by Saul. He's been received by Jonathan because they had a need. And, and David met that need under the anointing of God. But then the nation needed him. Because the entire nation come under the attack, came under the attack of the Philistines. And there was a giant named Goliath. And you know the story. If anybody has ever heard about the Bible, they know about David and Goliath. Because now the giant of the Philistines is taunting and mocking and ridiculing the God of the people of Israel. And David can't stand it. They don't understand, they don't know that David has slain a bear in secret and a lion in secret. He has seen the hand of God move to destroy the enemies in his life. So he has faith that this giant will also come down too. And he walks out and faces him with a sling and with a stone, smacks him in the forehead. He falls down and overnight David is an international hero. The nation had a need. And David had an anointing to meet that need. And when he met that need, the door was opened and they received him. It says, after the slaying of Goliath, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Divine connection. I believe in divine encounters and divine connections. I don't believe that a believer just happens anything. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he will not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I believe that the footsteps of the children of God are ordered by a sovereign, providential God, even though you don't see it. Come on, everybody. Often what we think is just a good idea, in retrospect, we realize it was a God idea. God was ordering our steps, and we just didn't see it or know it. The whole kingdom received David, not just Jonathan and not just Saul, but the Bible says, so David went out wherever Saul sent him, and he behaved wisely, and Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted, received, accepted, received in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Not only did all the people receive him, but Saul's servants received him. He was universally accepted by the whole kingdom of Israel. Favor. Favor. 
Somebody had a need. David met that need by the anointing of God and the appointing of God. And it was confirmed by the receiving of people. Now at this juncture in his life, you've got to think about it, he's hardly 20 years old. Can you imagine that? He's hardly 20 years old. He's leading Saul's army. The whole kingdom considers him a hero. He's a legend in his own time. He would have been on the cover of every magazine in the country if he lived today. At this juncture, David has reached the zenith of his life, an open door to the king's house. He comes in and out any time that he wants, loved by the royal family, an international hero, the favored patriotic son of Israel, and all of this by 20. David was in the zone. That's a great place to be, in the zone. Until, there's always an until, until, until life threw him an unexpected curveball. The Bible says in 18, chapter 18 and verse 6, now it happened, it happened. No, it didn't just happen. This was God. But this is what the Bible says, it happened. That as they were coming home, when David was, was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul. They came to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. But they sang a song that changed David's life. It said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Let me tell you something. David's brothers were not blessed when they saw him anointed to be king. Saul was not blessed when as the king he heard a song being sung, a top 40 Israeli hit, and the theme was Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. I mean, it crawled all up and down him. It did not make his day. It did not make his year. Saul would never be the same from this point on, and neither would David. Then Saul was very angry, the Bible says, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have? Uh-oh, but the kingdom. So Saul eyed David from that day forward, and that means viewed him with suspicion. He became number one on Saul's hit list. He was the number one most wanted after this. From this point on, everything began to change. David's former mentor now became a monster. We read of the tragic decline of their relationship in many places in the Bible. Here's one. 1 Samuel 18, 12. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. So he was afraid of him because the Lord was with him. You know, some people don't just dislike you. They dislike you because they sense on you him. It's that heavenly fragrance. They really don't know what it is that drives them nuts when they get around you, what repels them, what disturbs them. As long as you're not being obnoxious, as long as you're not being difficult, if you're walking in love and you're being kind and loving and long-suffering and they don't like you, it's because, and they may not fully understand it, but they sense that the Lord is on you, the Lord is within you, and the Lord is with you. Oh man, he got into bad circumstances after this happened. It says twice after this, Saul tried to kill him with a spear. Can you imagine sitting there at dinner? And at the end of dinner, you see in your host's hand a spear. 
and something funny comes into his eyes and he leans back, pulls his hand back and hurls a spear at you, that's when you say, it's been real, God bless you, I believe the next invitation I will decline. When jealousy enters the heart, there is always a spear in the hand. When jealousy enters the heart, there's a spear in the hand. Once he attempted to kill David by placing him in a difficult battle, thinking that in the battle he would be killed. The Bible says that in another time he sent assassins to kill him. Saul used spies, he used bribes, and he used an army in his attempts to kill David. At first it was veiled and shielded and in the shadows, but now he's being brazen about it. I want you dead. I don't care who knows it. I'm going to vilify you. I'm going to demonize you. I'm going to criticize you and slander you till nobody in Israel will have a thing to do with you. And if I find you, I'm going to kill you. Because you're not getting my throne. There were times when you read David's story, his fears got the best of him, and I'm so glad the Bible tells the truth about the people in it. It makes me feel better. There were times when his fears got the best of him, and he leaned on the flesh rather than on faith. For instance, when he knew that Saul was out to get him, he fled. He went to the temple where Abiathar the priest was, and he lied to him. And in fear and in a state of panic, thinking that Saul was three steps behind him, he said to Abiathar the priest, he said, Hey, listen, Saul has sent me on a journey. Saul has sent me on a task, to do a task. He sent me on a mission. And, and you know what? We don't have enough food. And so because we're in a hurry to get to this mission, we need some food. Can we eat the showbread that is dedicated to God? Do you mind if we just grab some bread from the temple and then move on down the road to fulfill Saul's mission for us? Abiathar looked him up and down. Something didn't sound right. Something didn't ring true. It rattled around in his spirit for a minute, but this was David. This was David who had slain tens of thousands. This was the giant killer. So he said, well, sure, David, here, here, here's some bread. And David said, do you have any weapons? Now it's really strange and funny. What do you mean? Saul sent you on a mission and you don't have weapons? Well, we're kind of short a sword or two. So he says, okay, well... We do have one sword here. It's the sword you brought here, David, and that you put in the house of God. It's the trophy sword. It's Goliath's sword. It's right there on the wall. David said, there's none like it. Give it to me. Listen to me, church. Today's victories often produce tomorrow's weapons. Today's victories often produce tomorrow's weapons. Do you think that David ever imagined when he dedicated that sword to the glory of God and the house of God that one day he would need to take it to protect himself from an insane king? Life throws curveballs. And sometimes it doesn't look like God's in charge, but he is. David took it and he fled. Well, it wasn't long. There was somebody standing right there. His name was Doeg the Edomite. And Doeg went and told Saul. David was just in the temple. He took food. He took the sword. Saul came. He approached the priest and he said to him, is this what happened? He said, I didn't know anything about this problem with you and dad. I didn't know he was doing anything wrong. And Saul right there commanded Doeg, the Edomite, to slaughter not only the priest, but 85 other priests. And there was bloodshed and slaughter of every priest in the house of God. Word came to David later and David knew if I hadn't panicked, if I hadn't lied, if I hadn't misrepresented myself to the priest, he would be alive today. He had to deal with that guilt. Then he went in front of Achish, the king of the Philistines, 
And he heard a kish turn to somebody and say, Hey, isn't that the giant killer? And isn't that the one who killed tens of thousands? Isn't this the one the women of Israel are singing about? And David was afraid. So here's what he did. He started frothing at the mouth. He got a crazy look in his eyes. And he acted like he was completely insane. Started clawing the walls. And in acting insane like that, the Bible makes it clear, he dishonored himself. He was leaning on manipulation of flesh instead of trusting God to protect him. And that was in a state of panic at the end of his life. Or not at the end of his life, at the end of his time from fleeing from Saul. He joined the Philistine army, went to the city called Ziklag, and looked to the Philistines for protection instead of God. There were times David walked in fear and lost his faith, yet God still blessed him, still carried him through, still saw his heart. Everybody say amen. amen. Now as bad turned to worse, the Bible says, quote, so David saw that Saul had resolved, made up his mind, determined to seek his life. Now I don't know, folks, if you know what that would be like. To know that there was an extremely capable person out there who had at his beck and call an army. And he had made up his mind that his number one mission in life was to kill you. Many of the Psalms were written in response to this constant chase, this stalking on the part of Saul. He who had ridden the crest of popularity and success like none other suffered a reversal of fortunes like none other. One man wrote, he ran through soggy fields and down slimy riverbeds. Sometimes the dogs came close, sometimes they even found him. But swift feet, rivers, and watery pits hid him. He took his food from the fields, dug roots from the roadside, slept in trees, hid in ditches, crawled through briars and mud. For days he ran. Not daring to stop, not daring to eat, he drank the rain, half naked, all filthy. On he walked, stumbled, crawled, and clawed. Caves were castles now. Pits were home. In times past, mothers had always told their children that if they did not behave, they'd end up like the town drunk. No longer. They had a better, more frightening story. Be good or you'll end up like the giant killer. Is this David they're talking about? The anointed, the appointed, the poet, the man after God's own heart? What was all this? Why, for ten years, was he in such pain? Running from Saul, hunted day and night. Talk about having to trust God. Every sound that the wilderness wind carried his way at night made him sit up startled. Is there an assassin out there? My former mentor is now a monster. He's after me. If God doesn't protect me, I'm done. Here was David's dilemma. Here was David's dilemma. It was not that he was being stalked. His main dilemma and his main test was not that he was being stalked. It was not that he was in danger of his life. Here was his main test. Here was David's dilemma. God has a plan for me. God has a plan for me. King, 
I'm anointed to be king. Is the God of the plan able to bring that plan to pass without me becoming like Saul? Don't you see that was his primary test? It was not how good he can duck and dodge. It wasn't how good he could outpace Saul. Here was the test of test of test. Here was David's dilemma. God has a plan for me. He anointed me. I'm supposed to be king, but I'm being stalked, pursued, hunted down. Is the God of the plan able to bring that plan to pass without my taking matters into my own hands? Saul is a picture of the world and its ways. Manipulative, ruthless, cutthroat, conniving, fearful, desperate, power-hungry, self-centered. David was a picture of the kingdom of God and its ways. Trusting, faithful, worshipful, non-power-hungry, forgiving, gracious, kind, long-suffering, and obedient. David's dilemma was, can I stay that way? Can I stay that way? Can I stay that way? Can I avoid the ways of Saul? Can I trust God to bring his plan to pass in my life without resorting to the ways of Saul? Can God work through this mess to his glory, especially if I stay true to the ways of the kingdom? Can he turn my pain into gain if I do it his way and don't compromise? Oh, you face the same battles. You just don't know it. You got your Saul out there and you have David living within you. Can God promote me in the office if I don't play the manipulative games that are all around me everywhere? Can I reach the top of my profession without stepping on people and being ruthless and being cutthroat? Can I trust a promoting God to promote me? Can I trust God to bring gain out of my pain even if I have to suffer doing right? Can I believe Him to write the last chapter of the book and see me through to the other side to the glory of God without compromising? Can God handle my enemies if I don't take vengeance into my own hands? Because I want to. <laughs> I want to hit them and then repent. I want to go tell them what for and then tell God I'm sorry. Oops, sorry, Lord. Can I really achieve all of my goals and dreams without pushing and shoving, stepping on others and acting like Saul? Now here's what it really comes down to. Here's what it comes down to. David's dilemma is God really in charge if I don't resort to the flesh? Can the God of the plan bring that plan to pass without, also st without me stepping into the flesh? Can he do it? No wonder David wrote so often, How long, Lord? David came to a conclusion about this. And so do you. Have to. You have to. You have to. 
As a matter of fact, you're going to decide one way or the other. I'm going to get where I want to go by acting like Saul, which translated means I can't trust God to get me there. I can't trust God to move in this world. I can't trust God to intervene in the affairs of men. I can't trust God to be big enough, strong enough, powerful enough, sovereign enough, providential enough to get me where I believe He wants me. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands only when I really need to. David came to a conclusion, and I've got it underlined in my Bible, I've got it circled in my Bible, and I've got it highlighted in color in my Bible. It's Psalms 138, verse 8. It says, The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Not the Lord and me together. We're a good team. I'll do things, flesh it a little bit here and there, and he'll do the rest, and we'll get there together by hook or crook. No, no. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Can I tell you something, church? If you leave it to God, he will deal with your enemies. If you leave it to God, he will deal with your circumstances. If you leave it to God, he'll open doors and shut doors, bring mountains down, bring valleys up. He'll make a way for the Lord in your life. If you leave it to the Lord, God will take care of you. It may not be in your time. As a matter of fact, it will not be in your timing. It'll be way after you thought it was time, but it'll be the best time. It'll be God's time, and he will take care of you if you leave it in his hands. But the test will always be, is there in you David or Saul? And if there's any Saul in you, that's what the wilderness is there to get out. Amen, Pastor Jeff, this is really speaking to me. Praise God. You can always tell when the wheels are turning. Say with me, the Lord will perfect what concerns me. And I won't have to get fleshly or become like Saul for it to happen. Twice, God allowed Saul to come within David's reach. Oh, and if there was ever a time, he could have taken matters into his own hands because one time he's in a cave. He's in a cave. He and his men, 400 men, malcontents, discontents, indebted, real winners from the kingdom. And Saul comes in and falls asleep in the front of the cave. His men say to him, don't you know that God has delivered him into your hands? Look at that. He's laying right there. Surely God did this. Surely God did this. Because he's chasing us everywhere. Here we are. He doesn't know we're in the back of the cave. And there he is. He comes in, lays down, and goes to sleep right in the mouth of the cave. It's just Saul. There's 400 of us. Come on, David. Let's, let's, let's ascend to the throne. Something inside of David said this. If I kill him, I'm just like him. And so if I'm just like him and I enter the throne that way, what does God have but another Saul? So I can't be like Saul to take Saul's place because Saul has been removed because Saul is Saul. And if I kill him, I'm another Saul. And if I get to the throne that way, I'll be removed just like him. So he said, yeah, there he is. But you know what, folks? Everything that looks like God is not necessarily God. Be careful how you interpret events and circumstances. Because it sure looked like God put him right into his hand. There he is. David just took out a knife and cut a little bit of his skirt off. 
And even that convicted the conscience of the man of God. Because it was manipulative. He wanted to be able to show Saul, see, I could have killed you. God said, don't even, you don't even have to do that. I'm going to take care of that boy. Now there's another time. David and his men have learned that Saul was camped out at a certain place. In the dead of night, they sneak into the camp. They walk right up. And there is Saul sleeping right before them. There it is again, the same test. I want to tell you what God was after. Listen to me, church, because he's after the same thing in you and me. Here's what he was after. Let me see if my future king has any Saul in him. Because if he kills him, we're not ready. We're not ready. If he scratches and claws and pushes and beats people up and is cruel and mean and ruthless. He's not ready for what I have for him. I want to see what's in him. So one of his men says, look, I know you can't do it. Let me do it. I'm feeling the anointing right now. Let me take him out. You can't do it. Cool. We'll tell everybody you didn't do it. But David knew if I tell him he can, then I did it. And so David said, no, 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 no. We don't do that. And he walked away. Now, you know how he walked away? King material. King material. Because there wasn't no Saul in him. And you know the rest of the story. He went and joined himself to the Philistines, messed up again. And when he was off trying to fight against the children of Israel with the Philistines, God wouldn't let him do it. And when he came back to Ziklag, the whole camp was burned. Anytime David resorted to the flesh, it was a catastrophe. And uh, uh, Ziklag had been robbed, his wives, children, his in-laws, and his money, his goods, everything had been taken away by the Amalekites. You know, it says David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. He sought God, said, Lord, do I go after them? And God said, go after them, and you will recover all. While the man of God, who had refused to be Saul, who had refused to adopt Saul's ways, who would rather have remained in obscurity than become like Saul... This man chased the Amalekites, overcame them, and while he was fighting the Amalekites in the will of God, under the direction of God, Saul fell at the hand of the Philistines, and his enemy was taken out. And David ascended the throne with no blood on his hands. The day came, he didn't even remember the pain. Because God had healed him. God had brought his will to pass without becoming like Saul. Let me tell you something, everybody. You never have to resort to the flesh to get God's will to come to pass. Ask Abraham. Ask Moses. Ask David. Ask any of the great men in the Word of God. Most of them tried to make God's will come to pass in the flesh, and it failed. It's when you say, Lord, I surrender all. I surrender all. I surrender all. Your timing is your timing. I'm cool with it. Your ways are not my ways. My ways are Saul ways. I just give my life to you, and I give my enemies to you, and I give all these things to you, and I'm not going to do Lord, I just give it to you. I surrender all. And God says, can I hear that one more time? I surrender all. Well, let's see how much you've surrendered, because there lay Saul. What are you going to do with it? You know what? Nothing. I trust you. God says, look there, king, material. Promotion, material. Amen?
Say with me, God will heal my pain if I just give it to Him and trust Him with everything. Can we stand together today? How many of you know that Saul is near to all of us? And you've got to crucify the flesh to be sure that you don't walk like Saul. Father, we just thank you today that you don't even waste a pain, that every bit of pain David went through became part and parcel of hammering out in him a steel-like, unbending faith that carried him through years and years of being the king. All it was, Lord, was you preparing him. And we thank you that even in pain, you're going to turn it to gain. In Jesus' name. Now I want to ask us to bow for a moment of prayer. If you can say today, Pastor Jeff, I'm dealing with Saul. And I can either respond in the flesh or I can respond in the spirit. I can either put on Saul and answer Saul with Saul or I can put on David, who is Jesus. And I can answer it that way. But I'm in that trial. I'm in that valley. I'm in that test. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, would you? Just put it up. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Many people. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray for our church. Lord, I want to be a David church. I don't want to be a Saul church. I don't want to walk like Saul. I don't want to teach Saul to the people. And I don't want them teaching Saul to one another. We want to walk like Jesus. I want you to say with me, church, Lord, I surrender all. I surrender all. And we're going to sing that song through once. And I want you to do that. Take a moment of prayer and just yield this. Whatever it is in your life where you're battling Saul, circumstances, difficulty, give it to God and say, I trust your timing. I trust your way. I believe you're in charge. In Jesus' name. Oh, to Jesus.